0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. In this edition of Radio Curious, we'll have a chance to learn about former President Richard Nixon and the movies he watched. On his third night in office, January 22, 1969, Richard Nixon watched The Shoes of the Fisherman. From then until August in 1973, when he resigned the presidency, Nixon watched over 500 movies in the White House, at Camp David, and the other places he frequented. That's an average of two and a half movies per week during the time that he was president. The book, Nixon at the Movies, a book about belief, by Boston Globe journalist Mark Feeney, examines the role that movies played in forming Nixon's character and career, and the role that Nixon, in turn, played in the development of American film. Ronald Reagan may have been the first movie star president, but Feeney argues that Nixon was the first true cinematic president. Nixon at the movies is part biography, part history of American film, as well as a revelation of the mix between show business and politics of the 20th century. And it's a new approach to Richard Nixon's life and career. I spoke with Mark Feeney, author of Nixon at the Movies, from his office at the Boston Globe in January of 2005. He began by commenting on the effect that the 500-plus movies that Nixon watched during his presidency had on him, the presidency, and the nation.
1: Well, there are a couple times when his love of movies uh, spilled over into, if not policy, then certainly into politics. Uh, The most famous example, which anyone who was around at the time will recall, is that it was revealed uh, during the Cambodian invasion in 1970 that Nixon had screened three times before and during the invasion Patton, the uh, Oscar-winning biopic about the old blood and guts the World War II general. And there was much controversy at the time whether uh, this was Nixon uh, using Hollywood to fire himself up. I suspect it's just he really liked that sort of movie. Um, And then there was another instance that's less well-remembered, that uh, when, during the Manson trial, Nixon was asked what he thought uh, was going on uh, in the courtroom in L.A., And he cited a John Wayne movie he had just seen called Chisholm, which isn't that well remembered. But in it, John Wayne basically is John Wayne. He takes the law into his own hands. And there was widespread criticism of Nixon for citing this as an example of good jurisprudence. Um, But more generally, it's not politics, I think, that there was this spillover, but it's more a reflection of his personality. He uh, as, it, as you noted, who's very unusual among politicians, and he's such a loner, um, someone so uncomfortable with people. And part of the beauty of going to the movies, uh, as anyone who has done it knows, is that once the lights go down, you can be as alone as you want and still be stimulated, excited, transported
0: well let 's stay with the kinds of movies that attracted Nixon. They were movies of conflict. Uh, Patton was the war movie. Uh, the movie that you mentioned around the Manson trial uh, was a movie of great conflict
1: yes well he uh, probably the the genre he he most liked was the Western, which of course is is predicated on conflict and almost always violence uh He was. Very fond of World War II movies. Uh, as a veteran of the war, he had a great interest in it, not just in his movie going, but his reading. In fact, his favorite piece of music was Richard Rodgers' "Victory at Sea." Um, but one of the fascinating things about looking at the list of films he saw while president is how extensive it is. He, I mean, he had favorites certainly, but he he just loved the movies. Period. And so he saw a lot of musicals. Uh, comedies uh, it really was across the board probably the the, the the two things you two yardsticks you can use would be one almost all the movies were American, not unusual for American film goers. Uh, And also, he tended to prefer older films to more contemporary films. And uh, listeners may recall that during the Nixon Nixon presidency, largely coincided with uh, a period of great innovation and daring in Hollywood, uh, what some people call the Silver Age, with with the Robert Altman movies, uh, Martin Scorsese getting started, the Godfather films, Chinatown. Uh, and he was sort of uncomfortable with with what was going on in contemporary that that part of contemporary hollywood
0: why do you think that was the source of his discomfort
1: oh well it's it's pretty obvious i mean you know nixon was a real straight arrow uh, it, 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 in in many ways obviously he broke a lot of rules politically but uh, part of what made uh the new hollywood new was uh, its much greater frankness in terms of language, uh, in terms of violence, in terms of sexuality. And even more important than that, uh, in its questioning of certain fundamental assumptions about uh, American life and society, you know, Hollywood, throughout its history, uh, has implicitly bought into and indeed propagated the American dream, But for this relatively short window, say between Bonnie and Clyde in 67 and uh, Star Wars in 77, that that 10-year period, there were a notable number of films, notable both in quantity and quality, that raised real questions about what was going on in America. There's uh, one of the most notable, though it's, I think, an awful movie, this Easy Rider, and there's a moment in it where Jack Nicholson says, you know... This used to be a hell of a country, hell of a good country. And that, I think, expresses uh, a fundamental attitude of Hollywood at that period. And that is not an attitude Richard Nixon shared. To him, this remained a hell of a good country. And at some level, I think he recognized that one of the reasons Jack Nicholson, and by extension, the new Hollywood, could raise that question is because of who was in the White House at that time, meaning himself.
0: Yet he was influenced by movies throughout his presidential career.
1: I don't know if I would say influenced. I mean, there were certainly many connections. He was a a moviegoer from a very young age, as were most people of his generation. You know, the movies for people in the 30s and 40s were what television has been for people since the 60s on. Um, And he served on the House Un-American Activities Committee at the time of the famous Hollywood Ten Hearings, a number of his major Uh, Backers, financial backers, were Hollywood executives, such as Daryl Zanuck uh, or uh, Jack Warner of Warner Brothers. Uh, His wife, Pat, worked her way through USC uh, as a film extra, movie extra at Paramount. So there were many uh, connections to his life and career. I don't know if you'd say political connections, though.
0: Well, in 1950, when he ran against Helen Gahagan Douglas, uh, uh, a person who had a history in the movies, uh, he took some uh, glee in beating her uh, to become the United States senator from California.
1: Yes, though I think that had as much to do with her her politics and her, her, her glamorousness as it did with uh, her Hollywood history, which was, in fact, twofold. Not only had she herself been a film actress in the early 30s, but as some listeners may recall, the Douglas in the Helen Gahagan Douglas was Melvin Douglas, uh, the Academy Award-winning actor, uh, who, oddly enough, would later go on to play the lead in the stage version of Gore Vidal's play The Best Man, in which the villain is uh, very clearly modeled on Richard Nixon. So there are all these funny connections.
0: In the time from when Nixon left the Navy in 1945, in the next seven years to when he became vice president, what effect did your review show that movies had on him during that time? Twofold, I suppose.
1: Then, as now, Hollywood was largely quite liberal, but there were conservative elements there, and a number of well-known Hollywood types supported him in 1946, when he ran against Jerry Voorhees, uh, Barbara Stanwyck, for example, and her then-husband Robert Taylor. Uh, More important was his uh, having a place uh, on the House Un-American Activities Committee uh, when it held its now-notorious hearings on the effect of communism in Hollywood. And uh, What's interesting is that Nixon already was demonstrating his shrewdness in that he showed up for the first day uh, when among the Uh, witnesses was Jack Warner of Warner Brothers Pictures, and he basically lobbed him a few softballs, which uh, Warner gratefully hit back over the fence. Uh, And then Nixon disappeared. Uh, He knew that this would be uh, a circus, and uh, he also knew that even though his own district didn't include Hollywood, uh, still he was the only Californian on the committee, and it was best for him to,
0: to, to lie low. His district Uh, was Whittier, which is uh, about 30 miles from Hollywood. Yes, yes. And for people in that time and that era, of which uh, I was a boy during those periods, and I remember many discussions about the Hollywood Ten and the... um, House Un-American Activities Committee investigation, uh, Nixon appeared to have a forceful role in fomenting and bringing those hearings to Hollywood. Did you find that to be true in your research? Nixon was
1: very much a junior member of the committee, and there had long been going on difficulties between the committee and Hollywood, uh, my sense, and my researches were much more focused on Nixon as president. But my sense is that, if anything, Nixon sort of would have preferred that that be backpedaled. People like Jack Warner were very anti-communist, but even more than that, they were very pro-profits, and the last thing they wanted was to have any kind of uh, cloud over Hollywood. And certainly, once they appeared before the committee, they were very much, uh, you know, uh, in favor of it and uh, against these. Uh, you know, this red influence in Hollywood. But uh, that's not what they would have wanted. And I think Nixon basically was was looking out for a leading industry uh, d- d- near his district. And if you go back and look at the transcripts, he has almost nothing to say. It's people like uh, Jay Parnell Thomas, who was the chairman, who really laid into the, the Hollywood 10.
0: Let's talk about Nixon socially and and how he moved politically. To see if that gives some indication into the movies that he chose, if, or into other areas. You say that uh, socially, there was nothing instinctive about Nixon. And when in doubt, he turned to what he was most comfortable with, uh, football and Robert's rules of order.
1: Right, right. Um, you know, he didn't have an intuitive understanding of people. Um, you know, someone like Bill Clinton... Or, if you're a Republican, George W. Bush. They, I think if, you know, they walked into a room full of people and they didn't know anyone, they'd manage fine. Richard Nixon would not have managed fine. Um, you know, one of the more amusing anecdotes from the 68 campaign is uh, during their New Hampshire primary, Nixon has to go from one place to another, and he's he wants someone to talk to. Uh, so... Whom do they choose out of the press corps but Hunter S. Thompson? Why? Because Thompson is a big football, is the biggest football fan among the reporters. And in fact, Nixon and Thompson have this perfectly fine conversation for 15 or 20 minutes because they have football to talk about. Um, And I think part of the reason that Nixon throughout his life liked the movies so much and particularly as president was that this is a, a, it's a social setting. I mean, so far as I know, he never went by himself. In fact, one time he even dug up Haldeman's secretary, H.R. Haldeman, his chief of staff, the Haldeman secretary, to go with him at Camp David. But once the lights go down, it's a way of being with people but not having to deal with them, which I think, from Richard Nixon's point of view, is ideal. Let me tell you what, to me, is an extraordinary anecdote, which Gerald Ford relates in his in his memoirs, when the Ford, when President Ford became President Ford and moved into the White House, he was struck by the fact that whenever he would greet a member of the White House staff, uh, an usher, a maid, what have you, that person, without fail, would not acknowledge him. It was very strange. So finally, he made inquiries, and he was told that President Nixon had left instructions that whenever he or Mrs. Nixon greeted someone, they were not to respond. To me, this is emblematic of Richard Nixon. He observes the social niceties. He you know, doesn't act like some sort of rude aristocrat who ignores those around him. He will acknowledge them, but then he wants to remain invisible to them. He doesn't want them to respond, which then initiates, uh, presumably would initiate some kind of further interaction.
0: It's quite extraordinary, don't you think? I'd like to take a moment and say that in this edition of Radio Curious... We're talking with Boston Globe journalist Mark Feeney about his book, Nixon at the Movies. It tells the story of Richard Nixon and Richard Nixon's relationship to the movies. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Mark Feeney, the role that Nixon had in the development of the American film, can you discuss that with us? Well, I don't know so much that I'd
1: say he had a role in the development, but it does seem to me that this period that coincides with his presidency, which in many ways is a silver age for Hollywood, with these extraordinary films, and many of the most extraordinary, extraordinarily dark, they are in a way part of a dialogue, an implicit dialogue between the man in the white house and hollywood which is trying to understand america trying to get a better handle on it you know if if, if you look uh, i mean chinatown uh, with uh, this uh, study of conspiracy and and evil in high places i don't think it would have been made without watergate uh watergate suffusive the shadow of watergate covers uh, godfather too um And if you go back to what's generally considered Hollywood's golden age, the studio era of the 30s and 40s, it seems to me one can argue that those films very much reflect the character and personality of the inhabitant of the White House then, Franklin Roosevelt, the sunniness, the confidence, uh, the sense of commonality. Conversely, it seems to me that the Silver Age, however inadvertently, reflects Richard Nixon, Uh, the paranoia, the skepticism. Uh, the sense of distrust. Um, you know, we can never know how Hollywood would have, what they would have done, uh, had Hubert Humphrey been elected president in 1968. But there does seem to be a very striking resonance between a number of the greatest films of this period and Richard Nixon's own character and personality.
0: Can you link that to specific films for us?
1: Oh, sure, sure. Uh, The Conversation, for example, which is the film Francis Ford Coppola made between the two Godfather films, it's all about eavesdropping and conspiracy, um, surveillance, very much made in the shadow of Watergate. Um, I mentioned earlier this Godfather 2. Those who've seen it may recall that a key scene in it consists of Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, going before a Senate crime committee. Now, ostensibly, that's modeled on the Kefauver crime hearings of the early 50s. But remember, this movie came out roughly 16 months, excuse me, 18 months after the Watergate hearings had been on television, which, as anyone our age will remember, was just perhaps an unparalleled event in television history, the impact of them, the way they just filled the networks. Uh, anyone seeing that film at that time, that's what they're thinking about. And Diane Keaton uh, as uh, Michael Corleone's wife, Al Pacino's wife, sitting behind his shoulder. It's just like Maureen Dean sitting behind John Dean uh, during the Watergate hearings. John Dean, of course, the White House counsel who, who blew the whistle on Watergate uh, so those would be two examples. Uh, more intriguingly, perhaps I- in movies that aren't overtly political, uh, you find Nixon references or uh, Nixon allusions. Jaws, which seems like you know classic summer entertainment, but if you think about it, the basic plot is about a conspiracy, a uh, cover-up, the 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 business figures in the resort community want to cover up uh, how serious the shark attacks are because they don't want to affect uh, the tourism. And in fact, at one point in the movie, uh, there is a shark, not the shark of the jaws of the title, but another shark is hanging from a hook, and uh, a passerby is heard to remark, gee, that's a deep throat. Uh, you know, if you you could make a study if you wanted of, of how many of these uh, Nixon references or, or throwaway lines there are. Uh, another example, quite minor but very amusing, uh, is uh, Art Carney won an Academy Award for Harry and Tonto, the best actor for Harry and Tonto, a movie about an old man and his cat. And yet, at one point, you'd think, well, what does that have to do with, with Watergate or Nixon? At one point, he's, he buys a newspaper from a news dealer. And he cheerily announces, so who's the vice president today? You know, Watergate, it's just, it was everywhere. It was this pervasive atmosphere, and it it spilled over into Hollywood.
0: Well, Mark Feeney, what drew you to write this book, to focus your efforts on Nixon at the movies?
1: Well, uh, it was very specific, in fact. Uh, I'd long been extremely interested in Nixon and also a a pretty serious filmgoer. And the day after Nixon died, uh, I received a phone call from uh, a friend of mine who's a film writer. And he said, "Uh, we're talking about Nixon. And I said to him, you know, you should write something about Nixon in movies because there are, as we mentioned earlier, some of these uh, connections between his life and Hollywood. And he said, no, you should. And I thought, well, gee, that's interesting. Maybe I will. But I just thought it would be some sort of essay and then, at this time, shortly after Nixon died, H.R. Haldeman, who'd been his chief of staff, his his right-hand man, uh, published his his diaries. And on the CD-ROM version of the diaries is included the president's daily schedule. And I was reading them on CD-ROM, which perhaps will suggest how serious I am about Richard Nixon. <laughs> and again and again, the presidential schedule would, after dinner, would list movie. And I thought, wow, this guy saw an awful lot of movies. And in fact, if you go to the National Archives, and as an aside, I will note, as many of your readers are perhaps not aware, The Nixon presidential papers are not in the Nixon presidential library, but in fact the National Archives retains them because Congress did not trust Nixon uh, to have his own papers uh, after he resigned from office. So if you go to the National Archives, you can look up uh, the list that the Secret Service kept, it's called the Presidential Daily Diary, and find out the list of films that he saw while president. And it's I, I just see it as a fascinating window onto... This man's personality. I, I dare say, if someone kept a list of the films that any of us watches over the course of years, it's, it'd be a very interesting uh, window onto who we are. But to, to have this window on a president is very interesting. And above and beyond that, a president who seems so alien to all that we associate with Hollywood. It's, it's glamour, it's excitement, it's sense of fun and entertainment. We think of Richard Nixon as being so dour and glum and driven. And he certainly was those things. But this is another side of
0: him. Comparing Nixon to the other presidents, he watched f- over 500 movies in the period of time that he was in office of about uh, six years. Um, how about the other presidents? What's your observation or your, your review of the number of movies that they watch? Yeah.
1: Well, the, the, the record holder, uh, is in fact, isn't Nixon, but it's Jimmy Carter, But uh, I don't know this, but I I believe the reason for that is because Carter had a a young daughter, and I assume that she saw a lot of films, and of course, he would watch them with her, Amy Carter. Um, But among other presidents, uh, the the, the biggest movie fan was, of course, Ronald Reagan, uh, for whom it was, in some ways, a busman's holiday, I guess. Uh, bringing back to his previous career, uh, both Kennedy and Johnson, they would get restless. And uh, if they didn't interest them, well, in fact, Kennedy would walk out, whereas Johnson would sort of wander in and out in that perpetual motion way of his. Uh, Eisenhower loved Westerns, and that was pretty much it. Um, And then I I know Clinton liked the movies a lot, but I, I, I don't. Basically, once I got to Nixon, that became my focus. It was more his predecessors. And the one other thing I would add, it was Franklin Roosevelt, who was a big movie fan, who had, a th- who had the theater put into the White House, the movie theater.
0: You report that Nixon never once fell asleep at a movie that he was watching.
1: That's what uh, Paul Fisher, the uh, Navy uh, 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 yeoman who is the White House projectionist, told me, yes. So far as I know, he did once walk out of a movie, uh, according to Haldeman, Uh, It was West Side Story, and Haldeman reports that uh, as he was leaving, Nixon muttered that it was propaganda. Now, propaganda for what? I don't know. Puerto Ricans? Uh, The welfare state? I don't know. But that's so far as I—and Richard Nixon loved musicals, believe it or not, so it makes it all the more surprising. But he did walk out of West Side Story.
0: And he loved the conflict that was portrayed in real life and in the movies, which is clearer than West Side Story.
1: That's, that's certainly true, that's certainly true. Um, but it's interesting. I mean he, the, the conflict that he liked tended to be um, he liked it, how to put this you know organized to a higher purpose, most obviously in warfare uh, or in politics, uh, and maybe seeing characters that he might have dismissed as young punks. Uh, you know, with their switchblades and fistfights. Maybe he didn't go for that. Who
0: can say? Mark Feeney, author of Nixon at the Movies, a book about belief. I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask you to tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately.
1: Well, I would say the most interesting book I have read of late uh, is by David Thompson, uh, and it's called The Whole Equation, A History of Hollywood. And... Uh, some of your listeners may know of Thompson's work through his biographical dictionary of film. Uh, I think he's without question our best writer on film these days. And he looks at at, at Hollywood really not just in terms of the movies, but the business behind the movies, the cultural impact of the movies. Uh, It's just a thrilling way of, of looking at Hollywood, and in fact, what he's writing in some ways is a kind of shadow history of 20th century culture. It's, it's. I think any uh, of your listeners who are interested in the movies or in American culture will really enjoy it a lot.
0: Mark Feeney, author of Nixon at the Movies, thanks for being with us on Radio Curious. Barry, thank you. <music> Mark Feeney is the author of Nixon at the Movies, a book about belief. The book that Mark Feeney recommends is a book about American cinema called The Whole Equation by David Thompson. Radio Curious has over 600 archive editions on our website, radiocurious.org, with new editions published regularly. You may stream, download, subscribe to our podcast service, and share them as you wish. They're all free. We appreciate your thoughts, ideas, and comments about our programs and enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org The phone is 707-462-6541 and the address is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, UKIAH, California, 95482 Christina Onestead and Yuko Kodama are the assistant producers. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.